0: And welcome to a brand new episode of Lowdown today. I'm absolutely delighted to be joined by the sporting director of Bolton Wanderers, Chris Merkham. Chris, a big warm welcome to the show.
1: Thanks very much, Connor. Thanks for having me on. Hope you're well.
0: Very good indeed. Uh, Chris, I know you've listened to a few episodes by now. Could you please take us through your earliest football memory?
1: Oof, um, earliest football memory, I suppose, would we'll be watching. Um, four year old. Uh, with my dad, Huddersfield Town, the old Leeds Road ground, uh, um, the local rivalry, I have, it was against uh, Bradford. Um, Huddersfield won 1-0. Just, yeah, don't remember that much about it other than that was my first game, the score. um, And yeah, it was a, an old school football ground, an old school football experience and probably been hooked ever since then, really.
0: Yeah, I suppose that's funny enough to begin with, an old school ground, because indeed, like, were you wearing now, Bolton, like, kind of what's lampooned at you guys is that you're a club with modern day methods and old school values and before we touch upon the present day of course we're going to have to speak about your illustrious passport at Huddersfield Town, indeed in the FA but it was in fact at your boyhood club Huddersfield that you got the big break in particular and you know you spent an awful lot of time on the grass there and it coincided with a pretty successful period at the club.
1: Yeah it was um, when I look back it was something that we managed to pretty much every season for the i think it was eight seasons I was there we improved on the league finish uh, season after season and the my first experience of being there sort of going in fresh face at 22 um being a fan of the club um was a big learning experience obviously um lucky enough to be working with a really forward thinking group of staff and coaches at that time when Lee Clark was manager um and the place where i met my my mentor steve black who obviously Steve sadly no longer with us, but obviously I know it was a huge impact on a lot of people across a variety of sports and left a lasting impact on my my life. But it uh, you know I suppose my career as well. Um. On top of that, I I studied. I was studying psychology. Got a master's in sports psychology at the time, and somehow ended up in analysis, sort of by by default. Really, there was. At the time, the the club were play pave uh, pay for prozone three, which was the only club in in league one at that time to be doing so. But it was at the age where we didn't didn't really, have the data and the contract. They didn't really have an analyst or anyone to use a laptop. So coming in out of uni, I could use a laptop. I had a decent understanding of football and thought, well, well, I don't know, I can learn. Um, and yeah, I did a lot of listening. Uh, in 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 that time speaking to Blackie a lot um, and and developing, like, um, you know, a start you begin, obviously, all the time, don't you, thinking about how I would do things or how, you know, what I could learn and take from the methods that were going on uh, at the time. And that was something that I really owe to, uh, to Blackie, starting to be curious, I suppose that was the first thing. And it was always about being respectful, but, but, but being curious. And, yeah, that that was a huge part I think the culture that Blackie Blackie put in place at the club um, again we were well backed by Dean Hoyle obviously a local uh, a local businessman and fan who funded the club and it was the start really of of the new revolution for the club and like I said it was a really exciting time to be part of it Um, We improved season upon season. I became the club's first head of analysis and sort of grew the department, including the academy. And like I said, I I was in a bit of a different position that the club were a bit forward-thinking at the time. They were the only team in that league to invest in, in ProZone and it led gave me my first taste of using football data but not just having it, actually applying it and thinking about how this could make an impact. So over the years, I was there. There was obviously a lot of change. There were probably times where I thought, you know, when people around me would say, you've been there like five, six seasons now, is it not time to move on? Is it not time to try something else? But when you look at it in football, the strange thing is you probably don't have to move on far to experience lots of different things, sadly, Um, you know, in most clubs. But in the time I was there, you know, I had five, six managers, including caretakers, loads of different staff. And I think that plus my journey, you know, getting in getting involved in the game at the at the age that I did at the time in the game that I did gave me a, you know, an advantage. I don't think I would get the opportunities now to be involved in in the game. You know, the amount of talented young analysts there are out these days and sports scientists and coaches and uh, a whole host of professionals I, I think I would probably struggle to get that that in um, so I was lucky at, at that time to be able to um, to get the in but to get the in in a first team environment I think was massive and I think that's something that really has accelerated my development Um, when I look back being in first team dressing rooms from that very first day you know where winning matters and obviously the, the, the youth development aspect of football is a hugely important one as well but that when that pressure's there it is a very very different environment and obviously you're learning a lot about people about how they react to under pressure and i think that was the thing at Huddersfield at my time that learning off five six different managers so many different players different characters um you know managing upwards at times dealing with the you know the tricky part of it um you know forming relationships with with co-workers and disagreements and you know all that's amplified when the pressure of winning uh, is on there so yeah, the first season we lost in the playoff semi final to Millwall. Second season we lost in the final uh, to Pop Peterborough. And then the following season we continued that into a Football League winning uh, or a League uh, f- Football League record at unga- a 43 game unbeaten run. Um, we then won the playoff final that following season. And then, yeah, from there, we managed to sort of stay up the first season the last day of the season, the championship, and progress and progress. Um, and then I left halfway through David Wagner's promotion season. Um, so, yeah, it was a bit of a bad time to leave. Being a Huddersfield fan, didn't actually get to see the promotion. But, uh, yeah, it was a successful period for the club, for
0: sure. What an incredible apprenticeship that is, nonetheless working for Boyhood Club. And may I say, like, the the criteria for taking performance analyst job probably is a bit more extensive than having a laptop schools now. But... um. You know, you, you, Chris, you speak about spending an awful lot, a lot of time listening, an awful lot of time learning. Mm-hmm. You know, as you know, for us all, that could be quite uncomfortable time having blind spots highlighted to us. And, of course, you were quite the mentor there in Blackie. Uh, what mm-hmm. was the biggest lesson you learned about yourself during that initial period at Show? Um,
1: I think it was that. I think it wasn't really about myself. I was learning about the game at that point. Um, I learned a lot of things about, like I said, relationships and how to build. But I think it was just listening to the game and understanding how it works, how people in the industry work. Um, you know, when I got there, it was first day I was there, obviously, Blackie's experience across, despite never having played, uh, being a professional boxer, but despite never having played, there was Lee Clark, X100 Premier League games, Terry McDermott, three Champions Leagues, however many leagues, so many top-flight games in England international. Derek Fazakerley, seven hundred games for Blackburn and England. Assistant manager Steve Watson, uh, x hundred Premier League games. Paul Stevenson, work you know, played with Gaza. You know, played at a really high level. For me, it was about listening and taking things on board. And I think that's something that's that that was a good lesson to to learn from from Blackie. Was sometimes, particularly when you're coming into the to that environment as a young practitioner and as someone who's inexperienced the ones who I've seen and come across who fail are the ones who probably don't listen enough and think that they have to talk in order to impress. Whereas I think you've got much better chance of impressing if you listen and then you're able to make sense of what's going on around you, have the self-awareness and regulation to be able to know when to make a, you know, I was, I was always, he's encouraged to to have an input. And I was always actively told to have an input, but it's about not pushing that too far at times, maybe not being too eccentric with your views and building relationships, building trust. And then, look, as that trust got built, I became more and more influential and was able to help Lee Clark in, in his preparation and the squad more and more. I think it was, the, you know, it was a, that was probably the biggest learning, is knowing when and when not to talk. I was speaking to someone the other day and they had a good phrase of, Know when to be wallpaper, and I actually think as a as a as an up and coming practitioner in the game, that would be a big piece of advice that I would I would pass on that I'd say I'd learn learn about myself.
0: And indeed, I mean, you picked quite an idea, I would say, to leave Huddersfield Town. In fact, it was during that promotion season under David Wagner, but it was a special time too for yourself and countless others. I mean, you headed up the games inside the department at the FA, specializing in special projects and opposition analysis. A period which I'm sure, if you're not already like people, in the years to come will be reflected upon fondly as a, I would say one of the golden eras or recent golden eras, perhaps in English
1: Yeah, absolutely. When I look back, it is it doesn't some of the stuff that happened probably doesn't still seem seem real in terms of how how successful we're able to be in 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 that time. Obviously, I left it like I said, I left Huddersfield January 2017, and. Um, that just coincided with all the good work that had been already begun at the FA by obviously Dan Ashworth, top Dave Reddin. Who I know you've had on um, and and their ideas from the top and setting that strategy. You know, there was the specialist coaching model. Um, the appointed Reese Long who's someone who's been very influential on in my career. Um, as the head of analysis there. Um, and they had the, the, You know, there was a real you could sense when when I went there and managed to get. Uh, the position that this was this was going to be an exciting time Probably didn't expect that that golden summer of 2017 to be as good as it was you know all the youth tournaments I was fortunate enough to work on every single one of them and in terms of supporting the opposition uh, analysis um, working with all the coaches um, to provide detail obviously on on the next opponents it's totally different opposition analysis in a, a tournament setting. Compared to obviously a league where you know the fixtures, um, nine months in advance, you know, for the, for the later games of the season, you know, you, you're having to react, um, to the draw. There was the draws when the third place can go through, like it was a nightmare, logistically, a nightmare. So, learned a lot about the importance of planning and making sure that what, what would happen in the past is teams would actually get less detail the further they got into the tournament. So, the bigger games they had the, the, the least amount of detail. So the way in which, with the, as the analysis and coaching department, we were able to devise that gave us a real advantage to be able to basically get our coaches on the grass uh, a day earlier than everybody else. Um, and that's something that that first year, obviously there was the under-17s, lost, um, lost the Euros final, heartbreaking way, last kick of the game. Then obviously the under twenties um did did brilliantly well won the World Cup the nineteens the Euros and then this, that seventeens group again the under the twenty ones, uh semifinals and then in in that in in that latter part of the year the famous group of you know your Sancho Foden group won the World Cup again so, it was an unbelievable an unprecedented year um in age group football. Um, so yeah, that was a really exciting time for that first year. Um, just 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 from that point of view, and then obviously going into the Russia World Cup um, was was where things got yeah
0: because even more spoke, exciting. I suppose you spoke in the previous podcast before about you know if Huddersfield was a masters on the grass, you know certainly your time at the FA was a masters in strategy. You know beyond the pitch. And it just yeah. seemed to me to be like yeah. a perfect, like if you reflect upon the people, as you you know, alluded to there earlier on, that spend their, spent that time at the FA, it just seemed to be the University of Football at the time.
1: Oh, yeah, it, it was unbelievable. And that's the biggest thing. Like it was a really tough decision, like my personal life. I, 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 it did really, it was a real grind having to leave Huddersfield at that point. I got along well with David, or Stuart Webber was at Huddersfield as well. Um, and there was a lot of really good things going on there as well. So it was a really t- t- tough decision to leave. But ultimately, it came down to expanding the network. And I'd say it was the best decision I made, looking at some of the people who were there. um, You know, uh, Premier League managers now, two Premier League managers as as of today. Other people who've managed at high levels, coaching at high levels. Dan, obviously, has gone on to do great things. um. And you know, it it really was. Like I said, it was a lot of really good work and really good practitioners and really good ideas going on at that time, um. And everyone was there was a real feel good factor, um, around the whole um organization at, at that time. And I think, like you say, it pe that attracted people. You know, St George's Park, obviously, as well being central location. I think that's an underrated thing, uh, an, an underrated idea to move that from Wembley. You know, we had a lot of people. Uh, from all over the country, so you were able to get the best staff rather than just ones that would um that would relocate to Wembley. So there were lot, you know, it it, none of it was so well planned, and there was so much detail go into that that it wasn't it wasn't luck. You know, you felt the momentum building, um, which is obviously special something always special to be a part of. Hundred
0: percent, and I mean, if Huddersfield didn't already, your time at the FA certainly laid the foundations for the present day at Bolton. That, uh, you know, I would describe from the outside, it seems to be a club now flourishing. And at some turn, turn of events in the past few years, when you look at the last month, winning 7-0 at home in front of nearly 25,000 people, you know, you're right in contention there to get promoted this season to the championship. However, that's really in contrast to the start when you're going in, it wasn't quite the perfect yeah. circumstance near the bottom of the league two, just out of administration, the training ground had just yeah. been sold. I mean, yeah. the situation is as ground zero as that. I mean, that seems to be yeah. the definition of it. Where do you even begin, Chris?
1: Yeah, I mean, obviously, I, I was, in a sense, a little luckier than Ian. Uh, obviously, you never, he, he was there six months before me, and I think him and the owner, Sharon, I think they were probably at true ground zero. Um, We always talk about this. You know, it, it, it was a way, really, like there were people around me who were sort of questioning, what, what are you doing? Um, you know, there was the World Cup coming up. Uh, There'd been a successful period. Uh, obviously, COVID had had an impact on that. Um, so, you know, there was a lot of um, change, obviously, at the FA during that time. But it was an opportunity to be able to go and, like you say, the ground zero, the blank sheet nature. What We talked about this actually just last night and it was... That that can be that can be daunting, but I sort of looked at it in a different way. As there was no change management needed, and I'd spent you know at that time so three years ago this year, um, you know I, I'd spent four, 12, 13 years working under all these managers with all these coaches with all these uh, uh, practitioners, and it got to the point. Also, the FA is such a big organization. I was beginning now to really hone and develop my philosophy and my strategies and how I would do things taking different bits from from everybody and it got to the point where that opportunity came along out of the blue really and I thought it's too good it's too good to pass up you know I've got an opportunity here with no change of management required to shape this with someone who is like-minded as me with Ian and with a a brilliant owner who wants to set a, a culture and a tone for the club. Um, so it, it, it could have been, like, when I look back, a lot of other people around me were saying this is quite daunting, it's a risk, whereas I suppose I never looked at it like that, having met the people and knowing what our vision was and being obviously confident in myself that it was a massive opportunity rather than something that was a risk. Um, and I think, yeah... To start with, you know that that role was really sh- focused on recruitment after the the good window that Ian had had. But like I said, the first time I, I sat down to watch a game, we were twentieth twentieth in in League Two. Um, I think the, the team hadn't won in six seven games when I first met Ian, and we had a lot of really good robust conversations. And what was meant to be a half an hour coffee turned out to turn into four hours, where we were constantly back, back battling ideas back and forth. And I know I've spoken about this before, but how forward thinking and open minded he was to embrace what, what some of the ideas and modern ways that he was, like a young coach as well, with really good methods himself. It just seemed to fit perfectly. Um so it 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 was a when I look back at that time during COVID as well, like it was a bit of a blur and, you know, life wasn't normal still at that point. So it was being able to throw myself into it all day, every day to try and build something. Um, that was different, and I think that was the key when we sat down with Sharon, the owner, was we want to do things differently. Uh, and obviously, appointing someone with my background was very different. I know they had a lot of experienced football people from recruitment and different different areas who who they could have looked at, but they wanted to do things differently. Um, and I think that was something obviously that, that 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 spoke to me in a really positive way as well. So yeah, it was um it was a a really sort of successful year, you know, Ian and the, the, the staff did a great job getting with that season. Sort of, I was doing a lot of work with Ian in the background on building recruitment departments and performance departments and helping getting in better information week to week. But yeah, went on an unprecedented run from twentieth and won promotion on the last day of the season, finished third and get promoted. It was it was crazy, really
0: incredible. And speaking of differently, there both Ian and yourself are on record of the club being in the league of one could you explain more about mm. that idea
1: yeah that's that's what we wanted to, with, that's obviously come from conversations with, with the ownership and, and ourselves Like we want to do, yeah basically coming back to wanting to do things differently uh, whether that be you know culturally I know for, from the top that's what Sharon's put a lot of her energy into and really made a huge success of the culture and the reputation that the club has obviously the way that uh we want to go about the playing style and you know certainly the methodologies that we the, that we apply to performance um and recruitment. Uh, I think it was about looking and and trying to do things. How much bespoke information can we that's evidence based ideally can we get to Ian for him to make support him making the best decisions and, and myself and him to come up with the right answers for the club. So yeah that 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 being in a league of one really came from from that how how do we be different how do we think different because you know it's a competitive industry and there's a lot of to say how competitive it is i do think there's a lot of safety i think in football in general there's a huge amount of self preservation huge amount of self protection and and as we know that doesn't breed um imaginative thinking and evolution, um, it's not it's not a, it's not a precursor to that. So I think that's something that, you know, going back to when I when I first arrived there, hearing that. And then actually now over the three years, coming up to three years, being involved in that has, has been a huge, hugely rewarding and hopefully, yeah. I think so far we've again similar to a really sustainable success at the moment. We're improving season on season. And if we keep doing that, that's probably the utopia in football. Like, right? you know, you see so many teams win something or do well, then straight back down or second like other manager. they have just got promotion or, you know, it's how can you have sustained success? I think that's the, the utopia, um, that, that we're aiming for.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting you speak about risk and safety, you know, to the dogmatic follower, you could say, one could say a Bolton style of player is quite risky, be it at the level. <laughs> in league one, but, uh, I mean, yep. it seems to me to be a club where there is no half measures because obviously to have a philosophy as hardwired as that, it obviously fits in, drips down to the game model, drips down to the people that you bring into the building, drips into your recruitment yeah. and playing DNA and yeah. whatnot. How do you encourage people around you, not so much in senior positions, um, Chris, I'm concerned about now, how do you encourage them to take risks, be less risk averse in their jobs? Yeah,
1: yeah, that's a really good question. I think that 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 comes certainly in 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 the performance team. Um, I think to 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 have that feeling that this is a long term project. You know, when I first sat down with Sharon, I you know I I always say this. We Ian we spoke to this, Ian about this as well, and when i sat down i had a young a young daughter and i had uh, my second daughter my wife was pregnant with my second daughter so to leave the fa that is notoriously a place where you can have a long career um it was it was a risk and i remember sitting to sharon and saying can you know how secure is this you know we're just not winning six games she her words were ian could lose the next 10 games and he's getting sacked he's got my back in and this is a long term project and we'll go on this journey together and I think that having that set out at the very top enables us to say, you know, deal with that. So I think why people, like I said just now, why people don't take risks is for the fear of failure. Whereas if we're saying this is the strategy for the club, we're all going to take risks. Don't don't worry about the, the consequences of if it doesn't go wrong, because obviously that's part of risk. There's a chance it can go wrong so i think it's trying to uh, make sure that that strategy that was set at the top that day permeates down um and yeah it, it it's around being being comfortable take risk but also being curious and how can we do things differently um to make sure that we're better Look, we don't have a, a, as as big a budget as what people would think um because we want to do things in a in in a sustainable smart way and we want to um, do things. You know, we know where this club has been, and, and we want to make sure that the things that we're doing aren't too risky. So the amount of risk we take on the pitch is the highest risk that's taken at the club. Whereas in the past that wasn't the case. So, um, yeah, that's that's something that's obviously hugely important, and and being bringing the fan base on board. That Ian, particularly Sharon, obviously is as the face of it. Um, have done a really good job of.
0: Yeah, and I think that strategy has been pretty mapped out and vocalized as well, which the community have certainly kind of reciprocated back to you and vocalized their support, Chris. In terms of you spoke about phase one previously about being doing anything you can to achieve promotion from League Two to League One. Phase two is more about the integration of data and providing hardcore and raw insights from the best information possible against the sports. Yeah. I'm just curious now, is phase three? Does that coincide with your own promotion from that as technical performance director now to sporting director? Um, potentially.
1: Um, obviously, I think that the key thing to t- think about, and obviously we we'll want to talk about the role of the technical director, the sporting director. There's so many different titles for it, and I think it's so so different every club. Uh, and I think there's a pressure for as for the industry in general to try and pigeonhole people and pigeonhole roles. Do they do this? Do they do that? Are they responsible for this? Are they responsible for that? And I think it's trying to get away from that. And that's what, you know, Sharon tells the story when when I first joined and I said, what's my job title? I haven't got a clue. (laughs) Um, But I know that speaking to Ian, speaking to you, you know, this is the right team that we're building. Um, and let's just, you know, see how we evolve. So I think, yeah, after two years in, in this summer, I've been have been there just over two years. It was the right time to actually look at what things I could be responsible for and, and take off Ian's plate even more and allow a bit more of a long-term focus. You know, there were so many things and there still are so many things that need doing at the club. You know, the academy was, was, was not... Um, you know a priority and that's hard for the people that have worked so hard in there but you know this club needs the first team you know we need to get success for the fan base that's what the, that's what they used to doing, and and that's what they deserve so we made that choice originally to focus on getting promotion to you know and then being competitive and trying to go again in league 1 which i think we're doing so now it's looking at some of the other things the infrastructure as you mentioned the, the 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 data and recruitment processes were really pleased with where they've got to, and then you know the performance departments at the club making sure that they're as, as staffed and as skilled and as as um as well directed as possible. So yeah, I suppose the change of title is is you know is something we we made a de- decision not didn't need an announcement anything like that. It didn't really change what I was doing. Maybe formalized it a bit more internally, but other than that, it was evolving to you know work together and provide the best support for Ian, um, and and give the best clarity for the the staff inside and out, and and obviously, um, the the perception outside of the business. So yeah, phase three probably for us will be after, once we achieve promotion. I think this is still still quite haven't finished phase two yet. Um we have in and this is the this is probably the challenge of the sporting director piece because we'd probably say internally the academy's just started phase two, you know, if we decided to go for the B team model. Um the first team's approaching maybe the end of phase two. Uh, the recruitment department, we probably feel we're now in well into phase three. Um so there's all across the areas of the club, there's all these different um, you know, different time frames going on and it's trying to that's obviously the job that I'm trying to do with Ian. Ian, you know how stressful of being a football manager is, and having to be win every, to win every week if you can. It's impossible for him to take on all the other long term stuff as well. So, as much as man, yeah, just make, simplifying the roles. I actually think it's so different every club, um, and that's that's fine. And it's as long as you know there is. Clarity within the, each club as to what the sporting director, technical director, technical performance director, head of whatever those roles are. As long as there's clarity and everyone's pulling in the same direction, I'm not really too bothered about titles or the evolution of where the job's going. Um, I think it's got to be bespoke to that club, and bespoke's a word that I like to use a lot. Um, and I think that it, it applies to this role as well, even though it is such a high-profile and senior leadership role, and it depends on ownership models, it depends on fan bases, it depends on a whole host of things um, so yeah that's that's probably where I, I i sit on that one
0: i would have to say it's well in alignment with my thoughts that uh, researching for this podcast chris is probably one of the most fun things i've had to do recently in terms of <laughs> looking at the club um bolton wanderers for me there's no mind there's no mind in my question no question in my mind in terms of the game that they're optimizing for, which is very much a long-term game. And it seems fitting that you're, basically your remit, the steps that you've taken since, have been so much sequential as they've been consequential. And dare I yeah. say, I mean, I was in Miami a few weeks ago listening to a keynote speech from Brighton CEO Paul Barber, nonetheless, and he spoke about right. Brighton being premiership ready two, three years in advance before being promoted. I mean, dare I say, Bolton are very much championship ready at this stage.
1: Yeah, that's that's what we're building towards. And like I say, there are still areas that aren't, and there's are still areas of the first team performance that aren't. And that comes from Ian's desire to get better and improve every day as well. We wanna be when we go up to the championship, we don't we wanna thrive and not survive. So we're trying to build, build and do things now. I think obviously the key one that most people look at is is recruitment of players. Um but we feel you know we've not got a huge turnover of players next season only a couple of contracts expiring next summer and a couple of loans as it stands at the moment so we feel we've got a good base of players but you know that's that's an area that I'm really proud of that we've done with our recruitment team and there's a lot of hard work got into it from, from a lot of people um, and you know the way that we use data and how we create as much evidence as we can to help decision making in recruitment I think we've been hugely successful. Um, and that's something that hopefully will bode well into us making a successful and being championship ready. I think if any part of the club, um, you know, obviously within the first team playing squad and, and is is needs to be championship ready, I suppose it is that to be able to recruit uh players and I think we've done a really good job of that. Something I'm really proud of. We've got Tom Payne who worked with me at the FA, one of the really bright young minds in the game. Um, Sean Price, a guy who does a lot of our bespoke data uh, analysis, who, you know, joined me, Um, dropped me a bit like how we met, dropping a LinkedIn message, responding to me, asking if anyone had any Tableau experience out there and did the first few months voluntarily. And now he's coming on the journey with us. He's a vital part of the team um so yeah it's about trying to build as much of the club as we can to be championship ready and and evolve continuously evolve even even when we are there
0: and i mean speaking of recruitment it's a funny enough segue because of course the bolton wonder story it's not only one that fans and pundits are buying into it's also something that the bigger clubs are digging into and it's piqued the interest of several few who have entrusted you with the development of your own young player of their own young players yeah. Talk about the likes of Manchester City and James Trafford, Paris Magoma, Branford, Connor Bradley, mm-hmm. and Liverpool, and Short Shorter, Manchester United, and the likes. I think that's been an important kernel or facet, really, of what you guys have achieved over the past two years, taking and being savvy, really, in a transfer, mm-hmm. the transfer development of these players.
1: Yeah, yeah, and I think I've had, I've had this question a lot, obviously, from the success of our own players, but look we also make no bones that if we could have someone who was as talented as those players and we could own them, we would do that every time. You know, we play a model, a game style and a game model that is uh, similar to a lot of the, the the top clubs. And I think that helps, particularly for forward players um, coming in and, you know, having you been used to having the ball under pressure to win, playing a possession based game. There are things that you don't always get, even in the championship with the different game models. You know, so it's that's something that I think we've we've managed and used really well. And for us, it's about how we evolve that and make sure this season. Obviously, we've only got two loans at the moment in Paris and Zach. Um, and I think it's something we've you know we've made you know cog, we've been cognizant of making sure that we do you know build the squad in the right way and the ones that I suppose, you know, as well as those that always get the mention and the, the, the good work that we've done with those clubs to develop, um, you know, internationally talented players, you know, we're really pleased as a recruitment team and department. We're even more probably pleased with the Dion Charles's, the, the Owen Tolls, um, you know, the Aaron Marley's Dempsey's and bringing, bringing players through our, you know, George Thomason's and how we Rico Santos has developed and, you know, being being savvy in the transfer market like that has probably um, you know, we take just as much joy from that, even though they might not be the high profile ones at the moment. You know, it's um it it's it's like it's gotta be a joined up approach, you know. I think I think going into the championship we might have to reconsider that again because you'll be able to get we'll be able to jump into the next pool of lone talent because we'll be a possession based team playing the championship in the northwest with big crowds and expectancy. So we'll be able to jump into that next pool. So that might be for a period of years in the next cycle of our recruitment that we do end up with a couple more loans again. But every step is taken deliberately, like you said earlier, and I think that's something that is is able – we talked about this the other day – we're able to be deliberate in those steps and not push things ahead of time because of that oh, from the top. This is a long-term project. The ownership's committed to Ian. Ian's committed to it and 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 myself and Ian are able to know that we've got time to implement things and you think how uncommon that is. I was we were at the game last night and I think Ian's now the tenth longest serving manager in the country. Mu Senior at Portsmouth, uh, he he's not even been there a calendar year yet. He's already thirty first. like when you think about that, That probably tells you everything you need to know. Um, So, yeah, we're we're lucky to be in that environment to be able to do that and that we get trusted to do that.
0: Not pushing ahead of time there being another key facet. You spoke earlier on about your ideal version of Utopia being sustained success. And obviously the academy will be a huge part of that. Um, Mm -hmm. Projecting ahead, how many years do you think before you could see a considerable percentage of the Bolton Wanderers' first team being academy homegrown prospects come through, Chris?
1: Um, I think that's a really difficult question in any club, um, because you don't see that that even the top top academies now it's not a huge percentages of squads that are made up from it. I you know, not as many times now where you see the United team, the Bayern Munich team, the Barca team that come through together. Obviously, where our academy's been and where it's going, it's got to keep up with the first team, which again, um, won't be won't be easy, but we that. The, that's the gap we're trying to bridge. I don't really want to put a time frame on it, but I think with the addition of the B team, the constant evolution of the academy staff, um, I think gives us a you know a, a chance. And we're already starting to see a couple of players who have come through the B team or brought in through that model, having success, hopefully come in January, or we'll see a few being loaned to the Football League to be able to go and show they can do that, come back in pre-season and, 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 and see where they're up to. Um, and I think if we can you know get get an increased reputation we'll be able to attract more talent and we'll be able to have a better chance of of doing that and look to be able to bring to to embed the playing culture that we want in the academy as well is a real it's a real task and it's not something that happens overnight so I don't want to put anyone at the academy under any pressure in terms of times and being specific but yeah it's something that you know if we can continue to embed the playing culture in there i think we'll we'll start seeing more like it used to be
0: and I mean obviously Chris it's been quite the journey for yourself indeed and obviously it brings across its own few challenges you spoke about an earlier lesson during your Huddersfield Town days being to be wallpaper that you see a common mistake of people coming through the ones who fail are the ones who don't listen whilst also at the same time you're trying to encourage this risk averse approach I would say in your current position how would you say with all that being said your leadership style has had to evolve from managing a top department all the adjusted department to managing a whole football. Yeah.
1: yeah, yeah, it's that. That's probably the big thing that that that's the bit that I am still learning and still evolving in. And I think all good leaders do do that. I pretend that I've cracked it, or uh, I don't think that's anything realistic for any leader, no matter how experienced they are. It's something to speak about again with Blackie a lot. Um. But yeah, it is different. You just and, and you're managing in such a different uh, array of people, um, and you know different types of personalities. Um, obviously, with different expertise, and I think it's knowing. I'm still learning of knowing, you know, what I am a real expert in, and empowering people to then be, you know, be able to express themselves and um, and and give responsibility to those people without micromanaging. I think that can be something that when. Originally, very uh, it's even in the recruitment department, which I would say you know the football side of, of this job is the bit that I'm good at and the bit that I like, um, and the the management side. I think even just being able to give, know when to delegate more, um, and and that's been something that I've really learned over the past um, couple of years, and knowing that there's people who know and being being open about that you know, when I'm sat in the the meetings with medical staff, sports science staff, I'm very, very quick to say I'm not an expert in this in terms of compared to their level of knowledge and expertise. Um, But I have enough knowledge and understanding and that comes through experience and having worked with good good practitioners in those areas. Um, and like I say, listening, being involved in MDT meetings at the FA and listening to to different approaches and different practitioners and how things work. You know, you can still pick up, up bits, but being open enough to admit that I don't I don't know everything about this. Um, but this is the overall strategy that I want us to, that, that I want us to strive for, that, that we need to give to Ian to make sure that we're best prepared to win on the pitch. Um so that's 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 something, you know, man management is the hardest part of it. And that's why, you know, Ian and managers have uh, have got that times times a million with with obviously the the complexity of um of, of players and, and 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 all that that entails as well so yeah i think i'd i'd describe my leadership style as evolving but i don't think that that's you know that might be taken some people might take that as a weakness as a lack of experience but you know i've been managing people now for including the department at huddersfield for like 13 14 years and i'm only 37 and I've been, and that's always been like i say in a competitive environment where there's pressure and where winning matters and where mistakes, you know, you're, you're accountable. So yeah, I think, I think I've, I'm, I've got a lot to learn with it still, but I feel I'm in a good, uh, a good place along that journey uh, for the stage of the career that I'm at now.
0: Uh, Well, I would have to say, I mean, your leadership style is pretty much reminiscent of the role of sporting director, which, as we spoke about earlier on, Chris, I mean, it's constantly evolving and it's becoming even more important in the public sphere. So with that being said, I mean, where are you currently looking to inside or outside of sport to continue growing and testing yourself?
1: Yeah, that's a really good point. Um, It's something that there are ebbs and flows, obviously, in this job, and it's knowing Sometimes I I can get frustrated when you don't feel like you're spending as much time on yourself and on your self-development. I think I've been lucky to be involved in, um, you know, with, with Dan Parnell and Mike Rigg and others in the ASD group, Association of Sporting Directors, you know, being able to have that group. I've been lucky to be a part of a leadership course that BFA have put, uh, put on with a lot of young, exciting people doing similar roles to me learning about how to be a leader and you know th- those things I take a huge amount of satisfaction I really enjoy them and I make sure that I spend the time and effort to to learn in those probably because with having a you know a busy job a young family it can slip through the cracks and and that's that's perfectly human as well I think there's a lot of pressure at the minute there's every amazing podcast about how we all go you know get up at 5am and go for a run and then eat you have your smoothie and then like that's not real life for everybody um, and you shouldn't feel bad about that so there are times where I get frustrated that I don't spend as much time on developing myself as I should but I know that at the moment like I said well I'm still trying to learn in the job and making sure that the more formal things I can get involved with where I can expand my network and learn off other people and have conversations with people who who I respect and, and who I value um you know that's 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 probably the most important thing for me and I, I do think that that can definitely come from outside of of sport obviously I think cross-contamination between sports where there's there's a common thread can help but obviously I used to speak to Blackie a lot around obviously he was very big in the business world as well there's a huge amount of crossover even though it might not be obvious all the time um between that and trying to speak to people and, and and get an understanding of of what challenges people face from outside sport is it is good to be able to learn for the specific problems that we face but i also think it's amazing for for providing context and like getting you a, a bit of perspective as well um so yeah they they're really <laughs> um vital and valuable pieces of or chunks of time to spend doing that to give yeah to give a bit of um context about what where we're currently at as a club and reflecting on how we're doing rather than just you can so easily get wrapped up in week to week to week and winning and losing but what's the overall vision and how are you making people how are we making people better whether that be players staff um and 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 that's that's something that we should take pride in as well
0: Fantastic and may I be at five AM smoothies or Tuesday night chats. It's uh, it's always a pleasure to talk about yourself, Chris. But um <laughs> thank as you. As this is closing tradition on the show, always ask the guest for what would Chris be your one bit of key advice for anyone listening that is that slightly bit inspired, who wishes to thread a similar path to yourself?
1: Um I think uh, we've touched on it a little bit, but it, it's a it really is a fine balance between um, listening and but also having the confidence to to articulate yourself. I think I think there's two parts, and it's working on each part of this equally. Y- your knowledge base is obviously really important, whether that be a medic, whether that be sports science, whether that be analysis, whether that be coaching, your knowledge base and developing your you know your knowledge on the area, your subject knowledge is important. but if you're not also developing on your communication and your social skills, you're missing a trick because, you know, unless you can impart that knowledge in a way that's understood by um, players or staff or whoever the owners or board members or whoever it is, CEOs, whoever those people you're trying to impact are, if you can't get your message and explain your knowledge. And subject knowledge across, then then you're always going to be missing the trick. So I think people can often spend too much time. Right, I need to know the next thing. I need to be the next, like, how much time? I would encourage people to spend as much time on on developing their social skills and communication skills as they do about their craft knowledge. And you know, I, we always get. I want to do the next course to learn how the next technology works. I want to do the next course to hear the next keynote speaker. Like, how much time are you going out and thinking about how you impart your message, um, and 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 as well as that, gain trust and, and the social skills Blacky owes you to say, um, no one cares how much you know till they know how much you care. And I think that's something I've tried to to take forward. I think is a good one for. For people wanting to get into this area, no matter what level it, it is um, and what what sub what what area it is, what subject area it is, I think th- that would be one of my big um, big yeah pieces of advice.
0: Absolutely fantastic, Chris. It was an absolute pleasure to host you today.
1: Brilliant. Thanks very much, Connor. Really enjoyed it.